0: I really don't care what you think. I really wish sometimes you would stay out of my business. I wish you would mind your own. I wonder often who died and made you king. You're not the boss of me. This is an A-B conversation and you ought to just see your way out. And judge not that you be not judged. All of the statements I just mentioned there, perhaps you have either heard them and sometimes they have been used against you. Or else you have used them and oftentimes or more times than not when statements such as that are used, they're used as some sort of a defense. When we are attempting to defend our actions, And more times than not, our actions, when they be wrong. But you know, out of all that I've just mentioned, only one of them has anything to do with Scripture. It's the final phrase, judge not, that you be not judged. What's most disturbing about that phrase, even though it is heard often in our world, and oftentimes even heard being used by Christians, Often it is the case that those who use that phrase have no idea at all where that particular phrase or verse is located. And oftentimes, even if they do, they have no clue as to its proper use. They have no idea the context in which it was used. And they're really not sure just what Jesus meant when he used those words, judge not that you be not judged. Well, the words are found in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. And these words, in my estimation, may be some of the most misused, abused, and misapplied words of all the Bible. You know, oftentimes John 3.16 is quoted, and I suppose that's because it is the most recognizable Scripture in all of the Bible. But more times than not, when it is quoted, although it may be quoted for various reasons, at least those who quote it understand what it means. But this phrase, judge not that you be not judged, is nearly always misunderstood. It ought not be that way. Because this phrase, like any phrase or verse in the Bible, for that matter, if found within its immediate context. And I mean by that, what does the Bible say in the verses preceding or following it? Can be better understood. This verse, like any in the Bible, is found in a wider or broader context. And I mean by that, Jesus spoke these words, so what did Jesus say? In the records of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel accounts, concerning the same topic. More insight is found in doing that. And then perhaps we even learn the most. when We take the time, if we would, that we would study all of the Bible and see what God would have to say concerning matters of judgment and how we are to judge or any topic for that matter. We can learn much. And so we'll do basically all of that today. We'll spend all of our time really today looking at just those ideas contextually. What does Jesus mean when he says that we are to judge not, that we be not judged? The title of our lesson this morning, just for memory's sake, is a judgment that we must prevent. Because the statement that Jesus makes there, judge not, that you be not judged, I'll say it again for probably the hundredth time. it is not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of just good insight or advice. It is a matter of strict obligation, something that is commanded upon us. And only two things we want to notice this morning. There will be sub points, obviously. But the first one has to do with this, and that is that we must apply wise discrimination. You see the very first word in the verse there, judge? The word there in the English language is somewhat clear to us, but from the Greek language comes from the Greek word, kreno. Now, the word krino, as many of those Greek words do, and sometimes even English words likewise do the same, has various meanings. For instance, if you think about judgment in the word crino, you have to understand it could mean to separate. It could, in turn, mean to divide. It could, likewise, oftentimes mean to determine. It could mean to evaluate. And sometimes it could even mean to condemn. But which is it here? Is it a combination of a few? Is it a combination of all? Perhaps not, but it does carry with it some sort of idea. Else it would not have been used. So when we think about this wise discrimination that we'll ultimately find Jesus does allow us to use, you have to understand that what Jesus speaks of here is not a matter of simple evaluation. Jesus is not therefore saying to us when he mentions judge not that you be not judged. He's not saying unto us that we cannot make simple evaluations. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, if you were to go to the grocery store today, and perhaps you like so many you would go in and one of the items you most often pick up may be a gallon of milk. Why, if you enter in that store, you would immediately find when you walk to that certain aisle, you would find that there are several types of milk. There are whole milk, there's 1%, there's 2%, there's fat-free milk, and so forth. There's chocolate milk, there's Barber's brand, there's Sure Fresh brand, and all of these. And Jesus is not saying we cannot judge according to that measure. He's not saying that we cannot make evaluations about certain things. As a matter of fact, if you want to pick up your Bibles and read the text, maybe you want to find that out because he begins by saying there judge not that you be not judged he answers the question why when he says for what with judgment ye judge ye shall be judged and with what measure ye meet it shall be measured to you again and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye or how wilt thou say to thy brother let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye and behold the beam that is in thine own eye thou hypocrite First cast out the beam that is in thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly, and cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. And I want to tie verse 6 to it just for this purpose. He says, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. You know what Jesus just said there? right in behind, saying, Judge not that you be not judged which many accused says we cannot make any form of judgment, Jesus gives us permission to make an evaluation because he talks about three things, logs, hogs, and dogs. You see it? He said you can decide what a log is. How do we know? Because he says it is the case that one may have a speck in his eye, that's a representative thing, or a mote of sin. And then he says it's also the case that you may have a, a log or a beam in your eye. Now, if you can't discern between the two, you're not going to be able to assist yourself or the other brother. Then when he takes mention there in verse 6 of the dogs, reading it again, he says that we need to be careful to give not that which is holy unto dogs. Now there you find out in that context, you have to tie that to several others to get all of this, but Jesus basically saying you don't go around and just throw the gospel haphazardly all around and throw it and spend all of your time, not that we shouldn't spend some time, but to spend all of your time trying to preach, trying to teach, trying to encourage those who are going to continue to live in sin and never hear it. Now you have to be able to decide what a dog is to know who that person is, Right. The same applies with the hog there in the end, the swine. Don't cast your pearls. Don't cast the great thing called the gospel before the swine who are simply just going to mull over it, who are not going to spend any real time giving it consideration. So that's a matter of judgment right there. What Jesus said here has nothing to do, therefore, with a matter of simple evaluation, does he? matter of fact, if you want to write this in your margin, you can turn there later if you don't have the time now. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, Jesus therefore speaks and says that we are to judge righteous judgment. Now, if he is prohibiting all judgment, even simple evaluation here, he must be prohibiting judgment, period. Therefore, he's just contradicting himself. You can then in turn take thought of what is said, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15. Therefore, the Apostle Paul writes by inspiration and says, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. Is Paul contradicting what Jesus would say here? Certainly not. The spiritual man, the spiritual woman, therefore, has the right to judge all of those things. You might reference 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. God, therefore, inspiring John, the Apostle, to write there, and he writes that we are to test the spirits or try the spirits. Now, how are we to do that? We can only do that by making evaluations. We can only do that by taking them and measuring them, therefore, against something else. And you really want to tie it to the context. You can fast forward in Matthew chapter 7, just across the page in my Bible, at least, to verse 15, where Jesus therefore warns, and beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they, that's the false prophet, they are ravaging or destroying wolves. He says, Judge not that you be not judge. Then he turns and says, Be sure that you make judgments concerning the logs, the dogs, and the hogs, and be sure that you know what a false prophet is. Why, if he's taking all judgment out of the hands of men, we could never know those things. I'll tell you something else about this wise discrimination. He's not prohibiting here also Bible measurements. You know, you could go through your Bible. We won't really reference these, but you'll recognize all of them. There's a time when God says thou shalt not kill, right? There's a time when God says thou shalt not steal. There's a time when God says thou shalt not covet. There's a time when God says thou shalt not bear false witness or lie. There's a time when God says thou shalt not commit adultery. There's a time when God says thou shalt not fornicate, and so forth and so on. We can go on down the litany of these sins... You know, oftentimes when a preacher or a teacher stands up and speaks against those things, people will turn to him and say, Ah, ha, 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 judge not. Judge not that you be not judged. Well, I don't have to judge because God already has. When we're talking about Bible measurements, we're talking about things where Jesus or God himself inspiring these things has given us a thus saith the Lord. We don't have to be the judge because God already is. So, in this phrase, judge not that you be not judged. If it's not a matter of simple evaluation, if it's not a matter of Bible evaluation, I'll tell you something else. It is not unloving to judge. You have to think about that. In the modern society in which I live, and you live in the same, the standards of the world have begun to say that there are no absolutes. They tell you that there's no way of knowing what right or wrong is. There is no standard of truth, and therefore truth in their mind and their terminology is relevant to the person. What they mean by that is whatever I discover in my heart is being truth, that's truth for me. But I then can't in turn imply that truth to anyone else because what's truth for me is not truth for him and vice versa. It doesn't go the other way either. And then they'll turn and report that anyone who speaks against sin, anyone who speaks of, say, hell or judgment or anything of the sort, they're unloving when they do that. And they'll accuse us of having a hateful attitude just because we speak of sin. You know that's not the case. It's never the case that when we spend our time as the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4 and 2 told Timothy to do in reproving, rebuking, exhorting with all longsuffering and doctrine, when he told him to do those things, do you know it's never unloving to do it? Someone says, well, it has all to do with the attitude in which it's done. And there may be an inkling of truth to that, but in the end, If I refuse to preach or teach, or you refuse in your life to teach or to preach to others concerning the sin in their lives, you know you actually hate them. I'll give you a verse for it. I've got a pew Bible here. This is not my Bible. I'm putting it back. It will not go with me. Look with me, if you would, to Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book of the Old Testament. Just read with me what we have here. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 17. Again, the accusation is sometimes used against all Christians, quote unquote, and that's loosely to say that, but especially against members of the church, that if you talk about sin or you tell someone that they're in sin that you're unloving. Here's what he says. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Do we agree with that, shake or not? No, yeah, we, we should not hate our brother. But notice what he goes on to say. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. Now he didn't say thou shalt not. He said thou shalt, meaning I'm giving you all the permission you need and I am God to rebuke your neighbor. In doing so, watch it. Thou shalt not in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. What do you mean not suffer sin upon him? Don't let sin stay on his head. Now what do you really get out of this? If you put the verse in more modern Mississippi, Alabama terms, here's what he says. If you will not rebuke your neighbor, and if you will continue to allow sin to be upon his head because of your refusal to rebuke him, maybe you've been accused of being unloving before when you've done so, but if you will not rebuke him, you hate him. It's not unloving to point out sin. Actually, to refuse to point out sin is hatred. Now, you tie that back to some of the texts that we've come across, at least, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. You can go back and read, and you'll find out that a man who hates his brother is the same as a murderer. Therefore, what? Therefore, we are a guilty of sin. We must. And so what Jesus says here, judge not that you be not judged, although it's often used as a defense when someone stands and says, hey, you cannot be the boss of me. You cannot discern in my life. If you would stay in your business and stay out of mine, we'd both be the better off. It's my life. I'll live it any way that I want. And by the way, you are the most unloving person I've ever known. How dare you come and talk about my sin? God said you hate the brother. You hate him if you refuse to rebuke him. So what Jesus speaks of here is not a matter of evaluation. He gives us free permission to do that. Of what Jesus speaks here is not a matter of Bible measurements. God has already spoken. He's already said what's right, what's wrong. It's his standard that matters. And to speak these things, judge not that you be not judged. Does not keep a man from being loving or unloving. And it's not a matter of the law courts either. Some of our brethren, whether you've ever heard this or not, will quote this verse, Judge not, that you be not judged, and they will say that there is no authority in the Bible for us to have courts of law. Obviously, the Apostle Paul, when he speaks to the Corinthians, he warns them about going to court of law with a brother when we ought to be judging those matters amongst ourselves. But I'm not in that. I'm talking about our brethren who say that there should not be any form of law, any form of justice in our life. Those same people, they despise policemen, believe it or not. Because policemen do what? They come behind you, they pull you over, and they make a judgment call as to whether or not you're speeding or whether or not you took enough time at the red light or at the stop sign or what. They're against those people. If the world would read Leviticus chapter 19, Judges chapter 13, in Romans chapter 13, they would find out that God ordains. That does not imply that he controls. That does not imply, therefore, that all things that happen in the law courts are right and just. But God ordained those law courts. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. What do you mean, Jesus? Jesus says here to us, we must apply wise discrimination. And wisdom comes from where? God's Word. Again, the authority to judge with righteous judgment. But Jesus is not just sitting here flowering words. He's not sitting back before these multitudes and saying things that have no use, that have no application whatsoever. He must mean something. So what is it? Well, we're going to show the context proves this. It is the case that we must apply wise discrimination, but it is likewise the case that we must avoid wicked condemnation. There's a difference. There's a difference between a man who would take book, chapter, and verse in his Bible and go to a brother with a loving and contrite heart and try to deliver him from sin. That is one thing. The other thing is a hypocritical man or woman who stands before another with their lives being filled with sin who are standing there in order to try to condemn someone else. That's wickedness. Read with me the whole of the context again. Judge not, that you be not judged. He says in verse 2, Or for what with judgment ye judge, it shall be judged to you. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? Now that's a good question, Jesus. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine own eye. And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, that's not me speaking, that is Jesus. First cast out the beam that is in thine own eye. And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Let me point out something. I I don't know that this gets pointed out enough. He does say get the mote out of your brother's eye. Oftentimes, my brethren read this and they say, well, you need to go take care of your beam and leave your brother alone. That's not what he said. He said, you get the beam out, then you go back to the brother, and then you assist the brother with the moat. Everybody's got to have the sin taken out. And one brother ought to be helping the other do it. That's what ought to happen. But what does Jesus mean? Well, he uses the word there in verse 5. He said, thou hypocrite. He says, the one that judges after this matter, you are a hypocrite. But what really is this? Well, turn with me to a parallel passage. Turn away from the book of Luke for just a moment. Luke chapter 6. Now, there are many times when the Sermon on the Mount are recorded, at least portions of it are recorded. I believe there are many times in the New Testament when Jesus really just, for lack of a better term, he preached the same sermon twice. He goes to a group. He talks about a certain subject, a certain topic. He encounters another one later who could benefit from the same. And he turns around and basically says the same thing. But Luke chapter 6 beginning in verse 36 gives us even more insight of this because the context is the same. But these words are added. He says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Now, we could agree with that. That'd be a, that would be a nod. We must be merciful as God is merciful. But the next verse, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. So he doesn't necessarily mention mercy in Matthew chapter 5, but when he speaks on the same topic, context applies. In Luke chapter 6, he says that you are unmerciful if you'll condemn or judge your brother after this manner, And that's hypocritical judgment. Now hear this. That has to do with what Jesus said, but here's a good question that I can ask. Why then do we judge? And I don't mean why do we judge anything. Again, we have the authority to judge after that matter of wise discrimination. But why do we judge in a hypocritical, unloving, and condemning matter? Why do we do that? I'll give you four reasons. I think the first reason, and it's born out here in our text we judge oftentimes because of our own iniquity. Again, the man there in verse 3, he is beholding or he's taking view of the mote that is in his brother's eye. He can see it. He's certain that it is there. He's made a judgment call upon him. And it's a hypocritical type judgment, however, because he in turn, because of his own iniquity with a beam, sometimes we say the two by four, the log, the telephone pole in his eye, He's not worried about getting that out. Therefore, he's called a hypocrite. Do you realize that oftentimes the hypocritical become the most hypercritical people that live? i say it again, the hypocritical sometimes become the most hypercritical. Why do I say that? Because those who are often hypocritical are very good at being hypercritical in that they can find the wrong in this and in that and in this and in that, and they're always ready to condemn and unmercifully try to correct someone else. I'll show you how this works. Dan, you're close enough. Do I have a speck in my... You, you don't know, or you can't tell, you can't be sure what. Dan said he can't see it. Sid, you're over here. Now, Sid has had LASIK surgery. Disregard the glasses this morning. Can you see the speck in my eye? The glasses mean he can see it far off. You can't see the speck in my eye. Anybody else see it? You know why? Because you have to get up real close, and you have to look real hard to see it. You see, the hypocritical become the hypercritical because when they become hypocrites within their own hearts, now they are good, or at least they think they are professionals, at getting up to someone and seeing the wrong in their lives. Imagine with me for a moment you bought a piece of land. There's a Bible character, actually, who supposedly buys a piece of land sight unseen. Today, with the Internet, we just might do it. Suppose with me you bought a piece of land. You've not seen the land, and you want to hire someone to go check it out. Now, in this hypothetical situation, you hire a buzzard to go look at the land. All they do all day is circle and look at the land anyway, so you hire a buzzard. He goes and he takes view of the land for you. He comes back, and you say, Mr. Buzzard, I need a report on just what my land, that I have already purchased, what it contains. You know what he might say? I see a cow with maggots in it. You say, good night, preacher. That's what he saw. Why did he see that? Because that's what he was looking for. Do you know that there are those oftentimes who worship, and when I say worship, I'm not talking about worshiping across the tracks or down the road. I'm talking about who worship here and in any other place, who come to worship, and they see in the worship what they're looking for. If they're looking to turn and to criticize, they'll do it. If they're looking to find out something wrong that's been said in the Bible class or a sermon, they'll do it. If they're looking to complain about the color of the walls or the color of the carpet or maybe some food during a fellowship meal, they'll find all of that. They will find just what they are looking for. But I'll say this, if you come to find God, you'll find Him too. We always find what we're looking for. But yet when one is hypocritical and one is hypercritical because of their own iniquities, it's hard for them to see. There was a grandmother like so many of our grandmothers are or were who always cooked Thanksgiving dinner for her family. Her children, she had several, and the grandchildren would always come in on Thanksgiving morning and they could always be ready that when they broke through the doors there, that in Grandma's house the smell of the ham and the turkey and the dressing would all be ready. They came in one Thanksgiving morning and they didn't notice anything at all. Matter of fact, they couldn't find Grandma. They looked in the kitchen. She wasn't there. There was nothing in the oven. The turkey and the ham were still in the freezer. They began to search. One of her oldest siblings, a son, matter of fact, found her in the back. And she was standing beside her bed, dusting an end table. He said, Mama, what you doing? She said, well, I'm dusting the end table. He said, Well, are you okay? <laughs> you hadn't started lunch yet. And she said, Well, I'll get to it. You can go ahead and get the stuff out of the freezer. We'll get it together. I'll be in there in a minute. An hour passes by. She hadn't come back. Now they're really worried. One immediately runs back to the back and they find Mama there. She is She's still dusting not any table, but the same table. What are you doing, Mom? Why are you dusting the table again? She said, I've been dusting the same table all week and I can't get rid of the dust. He took a rag out of her hand and pulled her glasses off and wiped them a bit. And now the table is clean. Here's why I say that. The hypocritical who become hypercritical only see themselves. Why do we judge? Because of our iniquities. Why else do we judge? Sometimes we judge, and I'm talking about unmerciful, hypocritical, hypercritical judgment. We are guilty of judging because of our insecurities. You know, it is a practice of mine, at least has been a practice of mine in my life, and I'll admit it, that I judge other people because in judging them, I feel better about self. If I can find someone in life who claims to be a Christian as I claim to be a Christian, and and they live a worser life, I know that's not a word, but I'll use it, they live a worser, a more degraded, more sinful life than I do, then I feel pretty good. Because why? I'm insecure about myself. What ought I be doing? Well, I ought to be taking God's word, as James calls it, and looking into the mirror that he calls the perfect law of liberty and measuring, therefore, myself against God's word. Not against other people. I want you to turn this passage with me, if you would, because we really need to read these things together when we can. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you'll you'll notice a few things going on here, but to begin with, you'll notice the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul is being judged. He's being judged by the Corinthians and wrongly judged. And notice his words, 1 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 3. He says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Basically, Paul says, you can judge me if you want to. I'm not real worried about it. He says, or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. What, Paul? He said, I I don't even take time to judge myself. He tells us why that's the case. He says, for I know nothing by myself, yet I'm not hereby justified, but he that justifieth me is the Lord. What do you mean, Paul? Paul? Paul said, I don't waste time to judge myself. You shouldn't waste your time judging me. And they were judging hypocritical, unmerciful judgment upon him. But I'm not going to spend all of my time doing that because ultimately the only one that can and should is God. Now, you're in the book of Corinthians. Turn over to chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Notice with me that. He says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number nor compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves. Now, really what he says to begin with here is, don't look at yourself and measure yourself by yourself, so don't just say, well, I'm a whole lot better fellow than I was last year. Because why? And comparing themselves among themselves, meaning I'm looking at my brother and saying, well, I'm better than he is or I'm better than she is, or not wise. I appreciate the King James translation and the way that they did this and the loving manner that they applied, but I'm going to tell you a word, and I hope our children won't repeat it. The literal language says they're stupid. I won't say it but once. When they do what? When they judge themselves by themselves, and when they judge themselves and use others, not God's Word, to be their measuring bar, they're unwise. So why do we judge? Oftentimes we judge because of our iniquities. Oftentimes we judge because of our insecurities. I'll tell you something else. Oftentimes we judge because of ignorance. Totally because of ignorance. Now this is a problem in the world. The world in which we live today has become so far removed and it's happening faster and faster every day that we wake. It's becoming so far removed from knowing who your neighbors are. I've got the most wonderful neighbors in the world, but if you've added up the time I have sat down in conversation with all of those neighbors combined, I'll be honest about it, I may have about 10 hours invested in all of them. they are about 12. Total. In nearly five years. You know what's problem is, though? Oftentimes we spend less than that, maybe not much more at least, with our own brethren. And so we judge them out of ignorance. I've actually sat down more than one occasion, maybe gone and visited other congregations. I can think of two occasions this happened. One time specifically, I was sitting across the table from an elder. I had just spoken that morning, got to meet all the people there, enjoyed being there with this group of people and so forth, sat down at the dinner table there at a fellowship meal, and I asked one of the elders, I said, you know, one of your deacons, I called his name, and I said, he seems to be a really good guy. I mean, he's just a go-getter. What does he do for a living? I thought he might be a salesman. You know, the elder said, "I, I, I don't know. I said, well, was he born and raised here? I'm not sure he was here when I came. That's sad. But we could say it about so many of us. We judge out of ignorance. Again, the passage we just noted a moment ago, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4, Paul said, I don't even know enough about myself to judge. And I'm certain that I know not enough about you in order to judge you. But the hypocritical and the hypercritical and the unmerciful, they are sure that they do. They're certain of it. A lady one time found herself in an airport, and she received word that her flight was going to be greatly delayed, and so she got herself together, and she went down to a local shop there. She bought herself a cup of coffee, a bag of cookies, and a newspaper, kind of standard for an airport. She comes back. She sits down there outside the gate. There was a man sitting next to her. She'd paid him no regard to this point, and she began to read her newspaper and drink her coffee, And out of the corner of her eyes, she noticed that he had actually taken her bag of cookies and opened them and started to eat. He couldn't believe it. And so she kept kind of looking at him a little bit, trying not to be disturbed, but she was internally becoming aflame. And she finally reached and got the cookies herself and ate a few herself. Well, he took one, she took one, he took one, she took one, until finally there down at the very end, there was one cookie left. And do you know this man had the gall and the audacity? He reached in the bag, pulled out the last cookie, broke it in half and shared it with her. That's bad, folks. She was so upset, she dumped her coffee in the garbage can, slammed her newspaper down the seat and went ahead and boarded the plane. It was finally ready anyway. She got on the plane. They'd been in the air about 30, 45 minutes. And she needed to make note of something. She picked up her purse and opened her purse there. and There sat her bag of cookies. Never been opened. Ignorance. She didn't have all the facts. She made all the judgment, but she had none of the facts. Why do we judge? Sometimes because of our iniquity. Oftentimes because of our insecurity. Oftentimes more than that because of our ignorance. But I'll tell you, in every occasion when we use hypercritical, hypocritical, and unmerciful judgments as are prohibited here by the Lord, judge not that you be not judged, it's always and always and always because of our insensitivity. We don't care. Our children sing a song about a little man named Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus, the wee little man. wee little man was he, climbed up in the sycamore tree. The Lord, he wanted to see. As the Savior come passing his way, he looked up in the tree and he said, What, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. It's found right in Luke 19. But Luke 19 and verse 6 is perhaps the most insightful verse of all of what is said there. Because after Jesus invited himself, basically, to Zacchaeus' house, it says, and the people, all the people, murmured. What does that mean? Was Zacchaeus lost? Yes. As a matter of fact, in their eyes, he was uh, ultra-lost, if you want to say that, because he was not only a sinner, as they call him, Jesus is going to eat with a sinner, He was likewise a publican. He was despised. He was hated among the Jews. And what they were doing through their murmuring was saying, even though Jesus has taken time to spend time with him, which the context bears out ultimately would save Zacchaeus and his household, even though Jesus has chosen to do that, we don't agree. We don't want him to be saved. Was that not Jonah's problem when he was told to go into Nineveh? And Jonah, for the first few first few chapters there, he decides he's not going to do anything with that instruction. He'd rather get on a boat and head the other direction than go to Nineveh. Why? Because he's afraid of God? No, he didn't fear God at all at that point. He ought to have feared God. Was he afraid of the people? Maybe. But he ultimately admits he didn't want them to be saved. You know, sometimes the people who I have judged, perhaps you have judged, according to hypocritical, hypocritical, and unmerciful judgment—the type of judgments prohibited here by our Lord—most times, and not when we do that, we are being insensitive because those people are the ones that the Lord wants to save. I'm ready to condemn. I'm ready to turn them away. But the Lord wants to save. Now here's the thing. We mentioned already John 3 and 16. You know what John 3, 17 says? After God loving the world, give His only begotten Son, and so forth for all of that. John 3 and 17 says this, For God sent not His Son. He didn't send His Son to do this. For God sent not His Son to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved when I because of my hypocritical hypocritical unmerciful wicked condemnation judgment against the world want them to be lost when God does not I'm wrong second Peter 3 and 9 I reference often says therefore the Lord is not slack concerning his promises As some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering to us. We're not willing, watch it now, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Certainly there is a judgment we must apply. It's wise discrimination. That has to do with making evaluations that are practical, that are Bible-based, When we do that, we're not being unloving. It could even be used inside of a court of law. And those things are right. They're never prohibited by the Son of God here. But when we take hold of wicked condemnation, that's something we must avoid. And what's the danger if we do not? I'll give you one more passage for your margin. James chapter 2 and verse 13. I hear the pages rustling so we can read. He says, for he shall have judgment without mercy. That's what this is that's being condemned. For he shall have judgment without mercy, who hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. James says, you can be this way if you would like. And you can try to condemn the world and at the same time lose your own soul, but know the judgment that comes upon you will be likewise without any mercy. If you're here this morning you're not a child of God's, God, with every ounce of mercy and grace and love, invites you to be one of His fold Through faith, repentance, confession, and being baptized, You can put on Christ and you therefore can have the authority placed upon you to judge others but only as you judge yourself. That's all the warning here in verse 2. You'll be judged the same way you judge the others. And then you can be saved. If you're here this morning, you are a child of God's. And for whatever reason, this hypocritical, hypercritical, condemning, unmerciful judgment has become a part of or has been in the past of your life, let go of it. It's a judgment we must prevent. We must turn and use only wise discrimination when we stand before the throne of God. Won't you do that to others? Won't you do it to yourself this morning? Use Bible measurements to judge your own life while together we stand and as we sing.